Father, I thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that since we are your people and this is your house, we can come here confidently knowing that we will encounter you. God, our sole purpose for coming here today is to worship you, to give you the glory and honor and praise that your amazing name is due. But we also want to come here and connect with you this morning, God. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. We want to grow in you. So I pray that you would grow us today, that you would get me out of the way, God, and you would just speak through me this morning as we get into your word. We will honor you for everything that you do today. In Jesus' name, And everybody said amen. 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 Hey, if you got a Bible this morning, would you meet me in Psalm 46? Psalm 46. Immediately, some of you know where I'm going this morning. I want to bring a message to you called Be Still. Be Still. I want to tell you a story here at the beginning of this message. As I was studying this week, um, I found this really interesting story in the Bible that I guess I hadn't really paid much attention to. Um, You're going to be wondering, what does this have to do with the message? And nothing really, we'll see, maybe it does. But this is just a fun fact for me to share with you. Psalm 46 is an interesting psalm because it's one of 11 psalms in the Bible that is written by a group of men who are simply known as the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, K-O-R-A-H. And Korah is a man who's mentioned earlier on in the Old Testament. He's actually mentioned in the book of Numbers. I believe it's in Numbers chapter 16. His name is mentioned. And he lived during the time of Moses. And the Bible tells us that this man Korah rose up in rebellion against Moses and against Aaron. And not just on his own, but he had a group of three or four other men who led this rebellion. And they led a group of 250 people to question the leadership of Moses and Aaron. So they, they rose up in rebellion. And Moses began to realize, man, we got a problem on our hands. These guys are questioning our authority. They question whether or not God has put us in this position to lead these people into the promised land. So the Bible says that Moses stood up before the people, including Korah and his you know, band of rebels, and he said, okay, we got a problem. There's a group of rebels amongst us, and they're questioning my leadership. They're questioning whether or not God has chosen me and my brother Aaron to lead you, the people of God, into the promised land. He says, so here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight over this. We're just going to let God decide. And so the Bible says that Moses tells the people, he said, here's what we're going to do. If these guys are right, if Korah and his men are right, and we have not been called of God to lead you into the promised land, then nothing will become of it. Nothing will happen to him. Instead, he will live a long, healthy life. He'll die a natural death at the end of his life, and he will be right. But if he is wrong, and if he's rising up in rebellion against God's chosen man, me and my brother Aaron, then may God supernaturally strike him down and let him die. And the Bible says in Numbers 16, and that at that very moment, the ground began to shake, the earth opened up, okay, the earth opened up, and it swallowed Korah and his band of 250 rebels into the earth. The Bible actually says he was swallowed up by the mouth of the earth. And as soon as they were swallowed up by the mouth of the earth, the earth closed back up, the earthquake stopped, and everybody stood there like, Moses is our leader. He's the guy that we're going to follow. He's undoubtedly the man that God has chosen, that God has called to lead us into the promised land. And from that day forward, everybody knew it pretty clearly that God had chosen Moses to lead them. Can you imagine being like, it would be so cool if your name was recorded in the Bible, but not if you were remembered the way Korah was. 
Like you were swallowed up by the earth. That dude made God so mad that God was like, oh yeah, you want to rise up against Moses? Watch this, you know? I mean, that's crazy. He was swallowed up by the earth because of his rebellion. Now, only reason I tell you that story is because it is said that the authors of Psalm 46 were the sons of Korah. These were descendants of this man, Korah. And so even though Korah rose up in rebellion, the Bible tells us that later on, generationally, good things happened to that man's family. We see actually that the prophet Samuel came from the lineage of this man, Korah. And then later on, we see that David had a band of mighty men who were known as the sons of Korah. These guys killed giants alongside David. They actually wrote 11 psalms that we have today. Not only that, not only were they mighty warriors, but the scripture tells us that these guys were the instrumental and the choir leaders. They led worship in the temple. That's the kind of amazing men that these men, the sons of Korah, were. Now, again... I don't know what that's going to have to do with this message this morning, but I just wanted to tell you that as a fun fact because I thought that was crazy, that the earth swallowed somebody up, okay? But here's maybe something that we can take from it. I don't know what your past has looked like. I don't know what your family history looks like. I don't know how bad your great-grandpa or your grandpa or your dad might have messed up. I don't know where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you. But what I do know is that God is so big that he can overcome anything that's in your past to take you into the glorious future that he has for your life. Can somebody praise God for that this morning? (laughs) All right, a little fun fact for you. I thought we'd have some fun at the beginning of this message. This is what it says in Psalm 46, starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and swallow up our great-grandpa. A lot of people actually think that the sons of Korah wrote that intentionally because of what had happened to their long-lost ancestor, Korah. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though its, waters so, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, everything that's said there points back to the beginning of verse 2. No matter what happens, we will not fear. We will not fear. I love how the scripture says that our God is a refuge. He is our strength. He's our ever-present help in time of need or in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. I mean, doesn't that just sound so simple? It's amazing how simple the Bible sounds sometimes. We hear that, we know that. I mean, I've read through scripture all over the place where I know that God is my refuge. God is my strength. He wants to be with me in times of trouble. So therefore, I shouldn't be worried about what's going on around me. But maybe you guys are a little bit more spiritual than me. I don't know, but let's just be honest. Do you ever just wake up fearful of what's going on in your life? The things that you see happening around you? Some of you are like, I didn't wake up because I was up all night fearful of the things that have been going on around me. I was up all night worried about what's happening in the world around me. I was up all night worried about things that are happening to my family. I find myself stressed out and fearful about the circumstances and the situations of my life. I want to ask you a question this morning. What do we do when fear tries to creep in and overshadow the faith that lives on the inside of us? What do we do when fear tries to creep in and the circumstances that surround us try to overshadow the peace that's supposed to live on the inside of us? What do you do? What do we do? You know, this last week we had our connect group, my connect group that I'm a part of, on Friday night. And we were just sitting around talking a little bit about this. And in our connect group, it was amazing to listen to families talk about their journey of faith. Each and every one of us, we have a different journey of faith. What you're walking through and what I'm walking through might be different, but the one thing we have in common is that we are going to have to trust God to get through the journey. 
We're going to have to rely on God to get through our journey of faith and apprehend the promises that he's made to us. And we were talking about this in our journey of faith. Isn't it amazing how we will always encounter fear that will come up in opposition to our faith? And I was listening to different people in our connect group to share stories about stuff that they have walked through and the way that God has been with them. But even though God has been with them and even though they've walked out a journey of faith, they still came face to face with all their fears. And I think there's a lot of different reasons why we have fears in our life. I think, first of all, we look at the world that we live in. We watch the news. We watch it online. We listen to the radio. Maybe you read in the newspaper. Whatever it is, however it is that you consume news, there's rumors of wars. It seems like crazy things are happening with politics and politicians and government. It seems like the economy can be up and down from year to year. We never know what's going to happen. And we look all around us, and somehow the fears and the worries and the cares of this world start to overshadow the peace that's supposed to be living on the inside of us. Anybody been there before? Or maybe you look at the people in your world, the people that you know, even people of God that are going through difficult situations, and you think, man, if those people can go through difficult situations, then who's to say I might not run into the same kinds of problems? We can become fearful because of the stuff that we see other people in our lives walking through. Or Let's be honest, sometimes we can look back at some of the places that we've been, some of the difficulties that we've been through, and we'll say, God, I'm so grateful that you were with me through those seasons, but let's be honest, I don't ever want to go through that again. Like, have you ever had a season where you're like, man, God, that was a tough season, and I sure learned to trust you through that season, and I'm so grateful, but can you just do me a good favor and never, ever make me do that ever again? Like, I've been there. You know what it's like when you're having a hard time paying your bills? You're like, God, when we get through this, just make me a promise that I'll never be there again. Right? Because it's no fun. We have to hold on to our faith even though we come face to face with our fears. And so we were talking about this as a connect group this last week. And I was really fascinated to listen to various people in our connect group just talk about their journey of faith and how they came face to face with their fears. There was one family that recently stepped out hugely in faith to pursue the call of God for them, for their lives, and for their family. And they made some big decisions to take steps in that direction. And they have people in their world that are like, are you sure this is a good decision for you, for your family, for your kids? And they're like, you know what, I know it looks crazy on the outside, but we have peace on the inside. But they still find themselves daily having to choose faith over fear. There was another family in our group that was talking about how recently they bought a home and how the process that they went through in buying a house was the most stressful, anxious time of their life. They're like, we have never encountered fear and worry and and, and anxiousness, you know, anxiety the way that we did when we were trying to buy this house. They're like, we got halfway through escrow and we're like, this is insane. We're not even sure if this is going to happen. We're just giving it to you, God, and we're trusting that you're going to work out the details. And God came through, and today they're in that home. But they said, listen, we had to make a choice to hold on to our faith in the midst of our fears. There's another couple in our connect group. Both the husband and the wife are walking through career change at the same time. And the decisions that they make to pursue the future that they believe God has in front of them is a little bit crazy to the people in their world. But they have a peace in here because they feel as though God has made them some promises. And they're having to choose faith over their fears. There's even another family that was talking about a struggle and a difficulty that they went through for a few years where they walked with one of their children through life-threatening health issues. And they said all the time, we believe that God is a strength, that God is our refuge, that he's our ever-present help in times of trouble, but we haven't yet seen the thing we're believing for. But they held on in faith in the face of their fear, and God brought complete healing into their son's life. I mean, incredible stories. But the thing that I want to say to you today is what do you do 
When fear tries to move in and overshadow the faith that's supposed to live on the inside of you. I think we learn a little bit more when we read on and look at verse 6. This is what it says in verse 6. It says, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, but he uttered his voice, talking about God, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. If you actually have a Bible and a pen and you're taking notes this morning, um, underline verse 7 where it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That's a very, very intentional line and verse, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Verse 8 says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. And that doesn't mean that God has done terrible destruction to the earth. It means that he has brought terrible destruction upon those who opposed his people. Amazing verse of scripture. And it goes on and says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. In other words, God brings our wars that we fight to an end. He goes to work and go into to battle for us. Verse 9 says, he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And that line is referring to the weapons or the instruments of war. That God steps in, he breaks the bow, he breaks the, the spear, he burns the chariot. He goes to battle on our behalf so that we are victorious. I think the first thing that we need to know and we need to understand is that our God is a mighty warrior God who has no foe that can possibly conquer him. And when we choose faith over fear, we are choosing a God who will step in and fight battles when we are unable to win them on our own. And then finally, at the end of verse 9, we arrive at this verse that most of us know. Excuse me, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Notice it says I might be exalted. It doesn't say that at all. It says I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. It says this again. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. But at the beginning of this verse, be still and know that I am God. I don't know what your church background looks like, but I'm kind of a church kid, grew up in church. Like, I'm definitely one of those kids that falls into the category of born on Saturday and church on Sunday type thing. You know, pastor's kid, been in church my whole life. And there's all kinds of scripture in the Bible that I've heard forever that just lived there and sat there. And I knew those scriptures pretty well, but they didn't mean anything to me until I actually had to put them into practice in my life. How many of you are like that? Yeah, all those passages of scripture that's built up inside of you and you know them. But they don't become real to you until you find yourself in this place where they are the key that you have to stick in the ignition in order to go forward with your life. This passage really come alive to me over the last few months. And I sit here and I think about it. You know, I've heard that all my life. Be still and know that I am God. What does it mean to be still and know that I am God? What does it mean to have stillness before God? What does it mean to stop or to be still and to simply know that God is God? And not just what does it mean, but why does it say that? You know, last Sunday night, my family, we were going over to some friend's house to have dinner. And so we're getting the kids together. And those of you who either have kids now or you have had small kids in the past, you know that getting your family out the door is like, it's a disaster, right? I mean, just trying to get a four-year-old and a one-year-old, like, dressed, you know, ready to roll, it's tough. And so, you know, my daughter, she's a very strong-willed child to begin with, but you know, I'm sitting there like, we're trying to get her dressed, get her hair combed, put her shoes on. And I'm like, hey, do you want to go to your friend's house tonight? She's like, yeah, she's all excited to go. So we're going to go. I've just told her that we're going to get there. 
But in the process of getting ready, I start to brush her hair. And she's like, I don't want my hair brushed like that. I want mama to do my hair like this. Well, daddy don't know how to do hair, so mama's going to have to do that. But if it was up to me, we would brush your hair and we would just throw your clothes on, right? But she's like, well, I don't want to wear these clothes. I want to wear those clothes. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a fight. And I'm sitting there holding her on my lap, and I want to brush her hair, and I want to put her clothes on. And then I want to slip her into her shoes. And she's like, but I don't want to wear those shoes. The crazy thing about this is that her hair will be messed up before we get out of the car. She'll have spilled something on her clothes before we get out of the car. And before we get out of the car, she'll have also kicked off her shoes. So it doesn't really, you understand what I'm saying. Don't you love being a grandparent? Grandparents, you're like, man. <laughs> but we're getting ready to leave, and I've got her sitting in my lap, and I'm trying to get her dressed and out the door, and my main goal is let's hurry, let's leave on time so we can get to where we're going on time. And the fight that I find myself fighting is, will you just be still so I can get you ready, we can get out the door, and we can go to where we said we were going to go? I sometimes wonder, I sometimes wonder if maybe God is sitting up in heaven saying, you know, you're so busy trying to get to the places I've called you to go in your own strength and in your own ability, and you're working so hard, and man, you're killing yourself to try to make this thing happen. But if you would just be still, I'm going to get you to the place that I told you I was going to take you. Now, I'm glad that there's some people getting excited about this because I've been excited about this all week because I feel like God's kind of opening my eyes a few things here, okay? I think we need to understand what this passage really means when it says to be still and know that I am God. We're going to dive into this and we're going to talk about what this literally means according to the original text, okay? But here's the first thing that we need to know. If we're going to understand what it means to be still and know that God is God, we need to understand what being still does not mean, Okay? Being still, number one, does not mean inactivity. Stillness before God never means to be inactive. In fact, when you look at the original writings and in the English, that word still is a verb. Now, how does that make sense? To be still is an action? What? See, we struggle with the idea that stillness is not associated with non-productivity. Because we are goal-oriented people. We are results-oriented people. We want to go out and conquer it. We want to go out and kill it so that we can be the one to say, look what we did, look what we made, look what we built, look what we brought home. And God says, no, be still. And sometimes we have a hard time being still because we associate stillness with non-productivity. But can I just tell you something? Stilling ourselves before God is anything but non-productive. When we are actively choosing, intentionally saying, God, I slow down and I choose to bring you into my life, God can go to work and do the things that we can't do on our own. We'll, go to, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. So the first thing we need to know is that stillness is not inactivity, okay? But here's the second thing you need to know. Stillness is not laziness. Now, Pastor talked about this just a couple weeks back in our series on generosity, Stillness, being still before God, is never a license to be lazy. Because God has called us to be diligent. Here's a word for all of us, right? God does not reward laziness, but God always honors diligence. Say it again. God does not reward laziness, but God always honors diligence. Why? Because we have responsibilities, we have obligations, and those are the things that in our own strength, for the most part, we should be able to meet, we should be able to handle, we should be able to take care of. They're our obligations. They're our responsibilities. So we do our best, and then we allow God to do the rest. 
So remember, stillness before God is never laziness. So if you're thinking about career change, or maybe right now you don't have a job, you're thinking about getting a better job, you need a new job, and you're thinking, you know, God, I believe that you have a better job for me and that you're going to provide that job. I believe that too, but can I just tell you that just because God's going to be the one to provide that job doesn't mean you shouldn't create a resume and go looking for it. Oh, come on, someone should say amen to that. Because stillness is never laziness. God does not reward laziness, but he always honors diligence. Amen? Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, what does it mean to be still and to know that God is God? Let me give you two definitions. These are the literal picture, like word picture definitions that we see in the original Hebrew. When it says to be still and know that God is God, that word still, the first definition that we see there, it literally means to fall limp or motionless without physical effort. Now, I know you're thinking, wait, you just said that we are still supposed to work and be diligent. Yes, that's right. But here's the thing. When you look at this passage in the context of Psalm 46, it talks about wars raging and a God who steps in and fights our battles. Here's what you need to know when it comes to falling limp and motionless and without effort before God. The thing that many of us are trying to do in our lives is we are killing ourselves and our families, working multiple jobs, trying to set up multiple businesses and having all these different careers and chasing after this and chasing after that to earn and accumulate and supply needs that we can't possibly meet on our own. I mean, we live in a day and age, we live in a world where the people are all about that hustle. I'm going to get what, work, what the work brings me. I'm going to get according to how much work I put forth. I'm going to bring in according to how, how hard I work and how hard I hustle. And you should work hard. But here's the thing. When it comes to our work and when it comes to our efforts, there comes a time where our strength runs out and we can only do so much for ourselves. I mean, I can't tell you as a pastor how many people I have met over the last few years who are working so hard, day and night, putting in so many hours, losing sleep, spending no time with their kids, their marriage is falling apart, and it's all because they want to have this better life that's, that's defined by this bigger house and this better stuff and kids that have all of these things. And at the end of the day, it's like you're trying to add things to your life that only God can add anyway. And so when we see this idea of stillness where literally we fall limp, the more accurate picture in this context is laying down of our weapons because there's only so much fight that we can fight. And I think a lot of us, that's what we do. We go through life feeling like, well, I'm just going to conquer everything that's in front of me. Can I tell you something? There are some things that are going to come our way that only God can conquer. There are some things that are going to come our way that only God can conquer. And here's the thing about a journey of faith. When we walk down the path of a journey of faith, in order for us to grab hold of the promises of God and see them become reality in our life, what's going to have to happen is God is going to have to at some point step in and do something supernatural. Do you know what supernatural is? It's when God takes his super and he throws it down on top of our natural. See, here's the thing. Your natural is going to run out of strength. My natural runs out of strength. My natural runs out of ability. My natural runs out of endurance. My natural can only take me so far. So when God makes me a promise and says, walk down, walk down this path, go after these promises, go out and pursue them and obtain them and grab hold of them for yourself, I know that there comes a point where I can only do so much. But when I've gotten to the end of myself, I've run out of energy, I've run out of the endurance that I need to get there, that's when God says, okay, now be still. You've done your best. Watch me take care of the rest. Watch me fight the fight that you can't fight. Watch me step in and do the thing that you can't do for yourself. 
If you're at a place in your walk with God where you are needing him to do something supernatural, stop trying to add super to your natural because you can't do it. Only God can do that. Your natural ain't all that super. My natural ain't all that super. I can only do so much. What God wants me to do is get to the end of myself and say, this is my best. I trust that you're going to take care of the rest. That's the God that we serve. And to be still before God, it sounds strange to us because we want to be conquering the world kind of people. We want to go out and we want to climb mountains. We want to knock down giants. We want to do everything and say, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Look what I've gained. And God's like, look, I gave you the strength that you have. So when you run out, you can rely on me to take care of everything that you can. That's the kind of understanding we have to have about being still before God. And let me just say this very last thing because I thought of this a couple days ago. You know, again, our energy runs out. Our strength, it runs out. Our endurance, it will run out. So instead of trying to kill ourselves to retain all the things that we want for ourselves, we need to learn to rely on God. You know why? Because God is way more interested in your being than he is in your doing. I want to say this again. God is way more interested in your being than he is in your doing. Because your doing will only take you so far. But if you are in Christ, we're diligent, we do our best, and we rely on God to take care of the rest. Amen? Now, check this out. This is the second part of this passage, okay? This is the second definition of that word still. To be still, it's literally this word picture where it means to sink deep. To sink deep, to rest or to relax, to rest, or to relax. Many of us are weary because we have forgotten what it means to find rest in the presence of God. And if you find yourself in this place where you're burdened and weary and worn out, there's only one place where we are destined to sink deep into to find the comfort and the peace and the rest that we need. And it's in the arms and the presence of Almighty God. Do you know how many people out there are facing addictions and substance abuse and all kinds of other challenges in their life because when they get to the end of their strength, they go and sink deep into something that cannot satisfy their need? And there's probably people here this morning, like literally that's what you're walking through right now. It's reliance on substance or some sort of addiction because every time you get to the end of yourself, there's only one thing that seems to make you feel better, but it always leaves you wanting a little bit more. Remember last Sunday when I came up here during uh, praise and worship, at the end of praise and worship, man, the tangible manifest presence of God was so strong in this place last Sunday morning. I remember I walked up here and like the only thing I knew to do was like I didn't even know what to say. Because sometimes when I encounter the presence of God, my personal reaction is I just want to laugh or I just want to cry. Because there ain't nothing like Almighty God coming down and just putting his arms around you and saying nothing except I'm here for you, I love you, and I'm walking with you no matter what it is that you're going through. And, and a lot of us struggle with this because we want to run to something that's going to make us feel better quickly when what we don't realize is that the one thing that can fill that void is falling into the everlasting arms of God. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter, thir- chapter 33. It says, the eternal God is our refuge. We can run to him. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Can I tell you something? If you're going through a battle right now, if you feel like you're running out of strength, if you're weary, if you're going through, you know, fits with anxiety, some sort of addiction, whatever it is that you're running to that doesn't seem to satisfy, there's one place that you need to run where you'll find all the rest and the comfort that you need, and that's falling deep and sinking deep into the everlasting, ever-loving arms of God. 
I think as Christians, we totally undervalue the presence of God. So often we forget about it. We look at our Bible and say, oh, that's just my duty for the day to make God happy. Are you kidding me? That's our map for life. It's where the Holy Spirit whispers and said, this is for you today. When we pray, when we sing, when we worship, when we bring praise unto God, we open this door for God to come in and inhabit that praise where we encounter him. And God wants to wrap his arms around us and tell us, sink deep into me because I'm going to bring you all the peace, all the rest, and all the comfort that your heart and your life are longing for. But we undersell it. Can I ask you, how often do you stop to sink deep and be still in the presence of Almighty God? Because the rest that you're longing for is only found in his arms. It's the only place. You know, Isaiah 40 says this, and I know many of you will know this passage, but listen to what it says. It says in Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, doesn't that sound a lot like being still? It says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You know why we don't really associate those things together? Because every time we find ourselves waiting on God, we feel like anxiety starts to mount up. We feel like fear starts to mount up. We feel like worry starts to mount up. Instead, if we're waiting on God, if we're still, if we're quieting ourselves, if we're laying down our weapons and saying, God, I've done my best. I'm relying on you to do the rest. I'm falling into your everlasting arms of love and of comfort. If we can do those things, what we'll find is that waiting on the Lord, it gets us to a place where suddenly we find ourselves having our strength renewed rather than being more anxious and more fearful and more worried and concerned. That's who our God is, and he wants us to learn how to sometimes be still when we've done all that we can do. That's who our God is. Finally, if you read on in verse 10 and 11, this is what it says. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. If you're reading that in the King James, it says, I will be exalted among the heathens. Literally, that means that the world around us that is non-believing, not in relationship with God, they will see the truth of who our God is for what he does in our lives. That's literally what it means. I will be exalted among the nations. I will. I will be exalted in the earth. And finally, I told you to underline this and from verse 7. It says it again in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. Every time in scripture when you see that phrase, the Lord of hosts, that is the Lord of heaven's armies. And if you feel like you are losing the battle that you are fighting, don't worry. The Lord of heaven's armies is on your side and there is no foe that he cannot conquer. There is no foe that can come up against him. There is no foe that can stand. And then finally, the thing that it says, it says the God of Jacob is our refuge. That was written very intentionally because it was in this context of the Israelites, the people who were in covenant relationship with God. Can I tell you this morning that if you are in Christ, you are in a covenant relationship with God. He has made a deal with you. He has sealed it with the blood of Jesus, and it means that no matter what you are up against, he will step in and he will fight your battles, and we should not live in fear. We can look forward and project faith in the face of fear, not having the peace inside of us overshadowed by the circumstances around us. But we have to intentionally learn to be still. I want to do something a little bit different right now at this point in our service. We just have a few minutes left. We're almost done. I want to ask everybody if you would bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like you're at the end of your road when it comes to the strength that you have physically, emotionally, spiritually. 
Is it possible that maybe the reason you can't find that next breath is because you haven't stopped to be still in the presence of God, to lay down your weapons? Listen, if you're here today and you have done your best, God wants to step in and do the rest and take care of the things that you can't do on your own. He wants to step in and he wants to allow you to sink deep into those everlasting arms that will bring you all the peace and the comfort and the restoration that your soul and your spirit desire. For just a moment, the complete silence without anybody saying anything, please, just no disruptions. Can we be quiet for a moment? Can we be still before God? Can we rest in him and invite him in today?
morning, if you just need the peace of God to move in and step in in your life, no matter what it is that you're going through, would you just lift your hands like this to heaven right there where you're sitting? God, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, Jesus. We thank you that it is your will and your desire that we would have peace living on the inside of us, no matter what is happening on the outside of us. God, we choose to rest in you this morning, to quiet our soul and to be still and lay down our efforts, to lay down all of our doing. We take comfort and peace in your being this morning. We know that we are in Christ, and therefore you have given us everything that we need. This morning we rest in you, God. I pray that you would bring in that peace. When we've known that we've done everything we can, that you would step in after we've done our best, and that you would do the rest. I thank you that you're speaking peace into people's lives this morning, into people's homes, their marriages, their finances, their businesses, their jobs, people that are seeking out you this morning. Teach us to be still. Teach us to be still and to know, to continue to always learn to know that you are God and if that you are for us, there is absolutely nothing that can be against us. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to pray one more quick prayer. You might be here this morning and maybe you've never made a decision to step into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible tells us that each and every one of us have sinned. All of us have, co have come short of God's per perfection. But God, in his amazing grace, while we were lost in sin, sent his very best in exchange for our very worst when he sent Jesus to this earth. The man who lived a spotless life as the son of God went to the cross and died a death that you and I deserved because of our sin. Scripture tells us that he didn't stop there because three days later God raised him from the dead gloriously and miraculously, conquering death and hell and the grave both now and for all of eternity so that you and I would know that same victory in our lives and in the life that is to come. This morning, there's a room full of people that have made that decision before to follow Jesus and to make him the Lord of their life. And I want to extend an invitation to you today that if you have never done that, there is not a better time to make that decision than now. All you got to do is believe with all of your heart that God did that through Jesus on our behalf. Confess it with your mouth and believe it with everything you got. And in just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer to do exactly that. I want to give you the opportunity. There's nothing special about these words. What's significant is the commitment that you make in your heart. So right now, as a family, right out loud, meaning it, we're going to say these words. I want to ask you if you would repeat them. And if you're making this decision for the very first time, would you say these words and mean it with everything inside of you? Everybody together say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. Today I choose you because you gave your life for me. So I will give my life to you. I believe that you are my Lord. 
I believe that you are my savior. I wanna walk with you. I wanna learn your ways. I want everything that you have for me. So today I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we give a big, big hand and a big welcome to people that made that decision for the first time?